Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, I'm your host Norman. This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators come together and let you know what we've been playing recently. And on this episode are That Tabletop Bellhop, The Meeple Dungeon, Meeple and the Moose, Dice and Dragons, and Cardboard Conjecture. And please take the time to check out the show notes where we have the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And, you know, let's keep with the regular and uh, enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, helping you make your game nights better. First off, I want to wish everyone a happy new year. Here's hoping that 2023 is a better year for all of us. Now, I've got quite a few games to talk about uh, due to gaming in the New Year's with the kids and a get-together that was totally not the last Sean Con of 2022. Let's start off with a couple of Valeria games that we received from Daily Magic Games, hot from the recent three small box Valeria games Kickstarter. The first of these games we tried was Thrones of Valeria. This is a three to six player trick taking game that does some really cool stuff with standard trick taking mechanisms. There are five suits and you randomly determine the rank of these suits at the start of the game. Cards of a higher suit trump lower valued suits. Each card played has a special ability and that can manipulate the rankings as well as doing other things. Now the player who wins a trick either gains or loses coins based on the suit of the card they used, based on its rank. Now besides all this interesting stuff, the game is actually won by the player with the most coin. And due to that, it's actually possible, though very unlikely, to win by never taking a single trick. Now, growing up in Southwest Ontario, we are all very familiar with trick-taking games, and I honestly don't know anyone local who didn't spend their school lunch hour playing Euchre. As long-time trick-taking lovers, we all really enjoyed this game. This may just become my favorite modern trick-taking game, and I love the fact it plays up to six players, as most traditional trick-taking games only play four. Now, at this point, we do need a couple more plays before I'm ready for a full review. Next up is Dice Kingdoms of Valeria, a roll-and-write game that, compared to Thrones of Valeria, is way closer to the theme and mechanisms of the original Card Kingdoms of Valeria, which we all actually appreciated. This felt more like a Valeria game than Thrones. We like Thrones, but it didn't feel all that Valeria-like at all. Now, in Dice Kingdoms of Valeria, on your turn, you're going to roll a set of six dice. Two D6s with numbers on them that actually match the dice in Card Kingdoms of Valeria. And then four colored standard pip dice in red, yellow, green, and blue. Now, the two D6 you roll at first activate citizens of all the players, just like the card game. 
Then the other dice are spent by the active player to do things. Yellow dice are used to hire new citizens. Red dice are used to battle invading forces. And green dice are used to explore the kingdom. And blue, if anyone's played a Valeria game before, knows his magic. Well, you can use that die to add to any of the other three dice. Now, the neat thing here is as you fill in pips on the various tracks on the board, they often unlock other things you can fill in, leading to some really fun chain reactions where it's like, I defeated an orc, so I get to explore, and when I explored, I unlocked this ability, and this ability lets me to put a guide to defend the kingdom, and by putting a guide to defend the kingdom on the walls, I then get to get a free citizen and stuff like that. It's actually a lot of fun. Now, this game by Levi, Levi Moat ended up being very solid, but I will say our first game seemed to play a little long, a little longer than we would have liked. Now, we did learn after the fact we were missing an important rule where every time you battle, you use that red die, you get a gold coin. We had completely missed that. And at this point, we've only played. So I'm really hoping future games will get a bit quicker since our first game was a learning game, and perhaps that rule mistake will actually speed things up when played properly. Otherwise, though, except for the fact it felt a little long, we really enjoyed Dice Kingdoms of Valeria. I'm starting to get uh, leaning a little bit more towards uh, Roll and Writes being type of game I enjoy. Uh, so far, this is probably the best Roll and Write I've Up next, I finally got my own copy of Drop It, a Christmas gift from my sister in law. Now, I first played this game back at Queen City Conquest, I think it was in 2017, maybe 2018. It was quite a while ago, and at that time I thought it was brilliant, but I just never got around to getting my own cop, and I'm so glad I now have one. Um, I was very pleased to learn that now, even now, five years later or whatever it's been, I still enjoy the game as much as I did when I got to try it at the con. Now, what I would call Drop It is a physics game. Uh, you want to call it a dexterity game, right? Because it's you're, you're dropping things, but honestly, it's way more important to learn about how things drop and how they react when they land and where they're going to land, as well, more so than the physical dexterity on the part of the players. Like, really, you're just holding the piece over and letting go. It's not an actual, like, stacking or flicking game. Now, for a dexterity-based game, this game features a lot of both strategy and tactics, and that's what I love about it. You have to think about where you're playing. You have to think ahead. You have to look at what was played by the other players, and you have to look at what pieces they have left in order to play well, and I love that. Now, I was also very pleased when my kids also fell in love with this game and asked to play it again and again. Now, what I can't wait for with Drop It is honestly to get it out to a public play event. And our first public play event of 2023 is actually coming up. It's going to be at the Barbershop Bar on Howard on the 21st of January. And I will definitely be bringing Drop It to that event. Next up is a review copy of Dolce from Stronghold Games. I really wasn't sure what to expect from this game. Reading the rules, it sounded rather simple. I would say too simple. But once we started playing, we clicked quickly learned that there are a lot of moving parts and things to consider in this game, which makes it significantly heavier than you'd expect. This game uses a bingo me mechanism where one player randomly draws a card from their deck, then all other players then go through their own decks and find the same card, and then everyone uses that same card as input for the turn and what to do with it. Now, you use the cards from one of three things. You can plant fields, uh, which can pr produce resources. You can harvest crops, which collects the resources off your already planted fields, or you can build confectionaries. Now, when you harvest crops, they end up put onto your confectionaries. And at the end of every round, any confectionaries that have the right ingredients in them start generating points. Now, the really tricky part here is that the byproducts 
of one of the resources that are spent at a confectionery can then often be used at a different confectionery, leading to some fun to run, but rather difficult to build engines. And that's what this game ends up being at its heart is an engine builder. Now, at this point, I enjoyed the game and I was honestly happy that it had more depth than I expected. But at this point, we still need to play more before I'm ready to share any final thoughts. One play is not enough to judge Dolce. Now, moving from heavier than expected games to some silly light fun. Up next, I have Monstrosity. Uh, we played this for the first time. This is a monster drawing game that it was a huge hit with the kids. Now, in this silly game, one player looks at a monster card for 20 seconds. Then they put it down and they have two minutes to describe the monster while the other players draw based on that description and can ask clarifying questions. The starting player then looks at them and votes on the best match, what he think, they think matches their monster the most. Note they're not allowed to look at the card again at this point, so they're kind of doing it off their memory. You then reveal the card, all the players vote on who had the closest matching drawing and get points for that. And then the active player actually gets a bonus as a credible witness if their pick matches the vote. You then swap players, go around the table, and you do that until everyone has gotten to describe monsters twice. Now, while this game was a big hit, my girls were a little disturbed by some of the features of the monsters in this game, which I will admit, they're cartoony, but they can be quite horrific. Um, they're, they're, some are pretty gross. And I'm really tempted right now to save this version, the core white box version of Monstrosity, for playing with my friends and other gamers, and pick up the Cute Creatures expansion and use that just for playing with my kids. Now this is another one I cannot wait to get out to public play events. This is another one I'm definitely bringing to the barbershop bar. I expect this to be a huge hit uh, once out to the public. This is going to be a great game for non-gamers, a great game for casual gamers, and a party game. Now my last gameplay this week was four rounds of Telestration, sticking with drawing games. Two of them using the base cards from the 12-player party pack, and two games using the 80s and 90s expansion pack. This game is always a good time, but I gotta say it's better with more players. We only had the four of us on New Year's Eve, and the rounds were just over too quickly. Like it was, you write your word, you draw, you pass, you guess, you get another one, you draw, you pass, you guess, done. Like it just, it was too quick, and there wasn't enough time for things to get off track, which is the real fun of Telestrations. Also, I stand by what I said in my review of the 80s and 90s packs. While it works for kids, it's not great. And they're not going to get most of the references on the cards. Yes, some of the things on the cards like Blockbuster can be drawn, even if you don't know about the video chain. But no one is going to get references like Lisa Frank. Like not only do my kids not get what Lisa Frank was, even my wife and I didn't know what Lisa Frank it was. And I had to Google it to find out it's like a designer of famous, very colorful, whimsical unicorn-based school supplies in the 90s. I had no clue. So... I'm still on the fence for the 80s and 90s expansion pack. If you have a bunch of people that, you know, gamers in their 40s that are playing, sure, toss them in. But if you're playing with anyone who's not familiar with those time periods, you might just want to stick to the original clues. Well, that's it for my gaming this past week. Uh, a good week, I got to say. It was nice. A uh, couple special events in there that got in more plays than usual. And I would be awesome if I could keep up this uh, pace for the rest of the year. Though I doubt it won't be true, but it'd be pretty awesome if I could. Remember, you can always find our content at TabletopBellhop.com, on the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, which you can find on your podcatcher of choice, or on our YouTube channel, as well as on social media where I can be found everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. 
For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I'm Mo Tuzno. Good day and game on. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What's Been Playing Wednesday's podcast. And we have one game we want to talk about this week. What game is that, Anna Marie? That game is Star Wars The Clone Wars, designed by Alexander Ortloff, art by Athak Hanani, and published by Z-Man Games. Yeah, so this game, Star Wars The Clone Wars, is based off of the Pandemic system. It Mm -hmm. isn't the same as Pandemic, but it has uh, some similarities and definitely some uh, borrowed uh, mechanics from that game. Like, the the bones are there, but the... uh, the actual um, game plays quite differently from the original Pandemic. But the way this one works is you have a main board and it's got the whole Star Wars galaxy um, laid the, out on it. All the planets on All there. the planets. And all the planets are connected via one or two different kind of connection points. Or probably some of them have more than that. But mm-hmm. they're kind of, you can picture all the little planets with little white lines going in between them in various, various ways. And um, you're going to have little droid... Uh, meeple or uh, minis out on the uh, planets kind of the same way that the cubes would be out on right. the cities in uh, pandemic the droids are kind of spreading and th- that's the influence of the uh, um, not empire but the uh, oh, man. either way it doesn't matter <laughs> um, and what you're doing is you're you're taking on the role of a jedi and you can pick from a whole whack of them um, but we've played with what Yoda, Obi Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka, Ahsoka. and then you, you so you pick a Jedi each, and then you pick a villain that you want to go up against. We've played against Asaz Ventress, and we've also played against General, General Grievous. Grievous, and we got our butts handed to us by Ventress. Yep, <laughs> and we ended up beating Grievous. Um, but the way this works is it's similar uh, in Pandemic, where you're going to be flipping over cards to show more influence of of the uh the droid armies rather than spreading viruses and you're also going to be moving um the big bad around the board and they're going to be doing things against you in this one instead of overflowing like the virus doesn't overflow instead if you get too many droids on a planet you then put like a little a a blockade yeah a blockade in there which costs you know it, it you need to fight it and it's a little bit tougher than just the droids yeah and then every time you have to put a blockade, then your threat level goes up. Yes. And so it, it does compound quite quickly, just in a different way. Yeah, exactly. So differently than in Pandemic, where if you were to spread, uh, or if you were to overload a city with any one virus, then it would spread like wildfire to the all the connecting cities. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen in this. Like you said, you just get a, a blockade figure is put there, and the blockade figures are stronger than the droids. And you can have a maximum of three droids on a planet. Mm-hmm. And um, and then once the blockade's there, that takes two hits to destroy versus the one hit that it takes to eliminate each droid. And you have to get rid of the blockades before you can get rid of enemies or anything yeah. like that. And um, what the way things kind of work is you have, what, you have four actions you can do on your turn? Yep. Yeah, so as, as the Jedi moving around the board, um, you move the figure around the board... And you can move to all these different planets. You can, and you roll an attack die. And the attack die does all your fighting kind of for you, simulates uh, a, a fight between you and the droid armies on any 
given planet. Well, one of the actions you can do is picking from a deck, which is going to give you the clones. Yes. So you're going to get some allies there, and you get um, your clones can help you fight. If you don't get a strong enough die roll, you can use use your, your clones. different clones to, yeah, to uh, um, up the amount of successes mm-hmm. you have per round or per uh, roll on whatever you're trying to destroy. There's assault uh, clones, and there are uh stealth clones they're purple yeah. cards and red cards and they're all the different clones from the show which is really really cool yeah, like there's like good. a whole whack of them every clone that you know and love from that show is shows up in uh, in its own individual card this is from the clone wars the animated series yes it's so good and um yeah you're going to assign clones to help you fight these battles you're also going to have tanks that help defend you against taking mm-hmm. damage from the enemies and you're also going you have to ships have ships that let you have extra movement. Yeah, the ships. That's right. And um, in the end, that's how it kind of works. You can either move, you can attack, or you can attempt to do one of the missions. Because mm. there's a couple uh, cool missions that are laid out. Depending on what difficulty you want to go on on this game, you can have X amount of missions. It says for a, like a, a normal game, you can have four missions you need to accomplish on um, at any given time but there's only ever two available to you at any given time and then um you can go to that planet it's going to have a target and it's going to say that this mission needs to be completed at such and such a planet and you need to have this many successes in order to uh to accomplish this mission of mm-hmm. whatever it is and have some sort of event from the actual show yeah laid out on the card saying you go here and you simulate doing this and in order to do that you need to have this many successes of either assault clones or um, stealth. stealth clones or or a mixture of the two or various things and then that's how you end up triggering the end of the game is by mm-hmm. defeating all the or accomplishing all the different missions then you have to fight the big bad yeah guy and then got. the the big bad that you're taking on you'll have to flip over their card and it kind of gives you this end game scenario that you have to take on and you have to do similar things against now say Grievous and you have to go to Grievous's planet and you have to do a whole bunch of various uh, things that are laid out on his card for you to defeat him and win the game and if you don't you lose and there's yeah there's a uh, uh, two different tracks there's the invasion track and then the threat track threat track and if the threat track ever gets to I think it's eight mm, seven six, or eight I think it's like six? it's yeah okay. it's not that many and then the game is just immediately over yeah um, and then the invasion track is just the um, a track that dictates how many droid armies are laid out every turn onto random planets and it's um it's cool it's really good their way of getting you know all the droids out and you know having them multiply is that in the deck with that's flip the planet deck there's there's a card that says okay now there's this event that happens or it's in the villain deck i think and so then you shuffle all the discard pile and you put it on top of the deck and so then it's repeating the planets that have already had droids exactly. come out exactly so you you start to see all these planets repeatedly come out yeah. and droids keep coming and keep coming into those same planets and it becomes a real problem because they start loading up with, with droids and when they load up with droids they start to load up with the blockades and when that happens the your threat, threat goes, is going yeah. like crazy and it rolls out of control so yes very pandemic like but very different yes. from like your typical pandemic and we love it we love this yeah game this is a very lot. good game we we're big fans of the show and big big fans of this game Absolutely. so that's about it i think so i think we're gonna run and we will see you next week cheers see ya
Hello, my name is Alex, and I write board game reviews over at MeepleOnTheMoose.com, and I'm here to talk to you today about the games you played this week, what you've been playing Wednesday. I keep telling myself that I'm not a solo gamer, yet both Paperback Adventures and One Deck Galaxy were delivered this week. While I haven't played One Deck Galaxy yet, I wasted no time in sleeving everything in Paperback Adventures. Now, I had the opportunity to demo Paperback Adventures on Tabletop Simulator with the designer Tim Fowers a few weeks ahead of his Kickstarter campaign. I really enjoyed it back then, and I backed it at the highest possible level, and I have been eagerly anticipating its arrival ever since. Well, today's the day. Paperback Adventures by Sky Larson and Tim Fowers is a solo deck-building word game with some roguelike elements. If you've never heard of a roguelike or roguelike before, think about games like Enter the Gungeon or Slay the Spire or Monster Train. There's many games to pick from, and it's a genre game that I actually really enjoy. Now, in Paperback Adventures, the core box contains all the common cards you'll need, such as the items that will allow you to take an ability at the cost of some energy, enemy Val cards, and the MacGuffins, which, if you've played Slay the Spire, they act kind of like the relics. They offer passive abilities, often with some kind of trigger, but they can be very powerful if you combo them to together just right. Three separate character box exist, the Damsel, Ex Machina, and Plot Hook the Pirate. Each character box has a few more items, MacGuffins, and enemies that can be mixed into the core box and played with any other character. The character box contains the 60 letter cards and some starting powers and abilities for that specific character. Now, to play Paperback Adventures, you need to select a character. Uh, I chose to start with the Damsel, as I mostly played with Ex Machina back when I demoed the game. The game of Paperback Adventures takes you through three books or chapters... Uh, each book has you fighting one lackey and one boss. If you're successful in a fight, you get some rewards and continue on to the next fight. Should you defeat the book three boss, then you've won the game. Each enemy in Paperback Adventures is unique and double-sided. You'll always know what the enemy is going to do next. You start your adventure with 10 cards, four of which you'll draw every turn. You also have a wild card that you can use as any letter and a vowel card that you can use to create more words. Each of your cards has symbols along the left and the right hand side, as well as a special ability in the middle of the card. When you make a word, you need to choose to splay your cards left or right, basically arranging the cards in your hand so you either see the left sides of all the cards or the right sides of all the cards. These symbols will offer you defense and attack abilities in addition to some energy, and in addition to the symbols, whatever card ends up on top, either the first card of the word if you splayed right or the last card of the word if you splayed left, it'll trigger a special ability. And then that card is fatigued, removing it from the rest of the combat. Your goal is to reduce your opponent's health to zero while ensuring your health stays above zero. It sounds simple in theory, but man, does this game offer some fun decisions. And I'm going to gush a little bit here, but I'm amazed at how interesting and fun and exciting this card game is. I get so excited when I can pull off a maneuver to block incoming damage and strike back, or when I overextend myself to deal just enough damage to stun the enemy and avoiding a massive attack back. It's tense and interesting, and I love the challenge of finding the right word to use to ensure that the right letter is in the first or last spot. Sometimes making a small word to take advantage of a special ability is necessary, or changing your whole word just because you don't want to waste an ability of a card on that turn. Fatiguing cards slowly drains your deck, creating a timer for the game. If you stall and stall and stall, eventually your deck will run out and you'll be left with nothing to play with. This pressure is important as it makes you balance what cards you have in your hand and which letter ability you want to use and what words you're able to make and what the enemy is going to do and generally keeps the overall pace and tempo of the game. Assuming you're able to defeat the enemy, you're given a little vignette or a little snippet of story and a handful of rewards. 
The lackey rewards have you draw cards from that stack of 50 unique cards, unique to each character, and you replace a card in your deck with it. The bosses will add a card to your deck, allowing you to fight longer battles. You will also be able to upgrade some of your cards, which has you pull the card out of, a card out of its sleeve and turn it around, revealing a more powerful version of the card. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the production of the game. While I'm not really a fan of having all the characters in their own boxes, I appreciate that if I didn't want to go all in, I could just get one character and the core box to dip my toes into the system. Each character comes with a tray and some middle arrows to track things like health, energy, boons, and hexes. The enemy tray was incredibly stiff and almost unusable at first, but by the end of my first play session, it was starting to loosen up. Every card in the game comes with card sleeves, so there is a bit of a time investment in sleeving the hundreds of cards the first time you open each of these boxes. But the sleeves have a premium feel to them. They're definitely not the cheap penny sleeves that I've dabbled with in the past. If you manage to best the book three boss, each character box has a secret envelope that you get to open, revealing a special bonus. Kind of like a new game plus. Paperback Adventures has an impressive amount of replayability. The discovery is high. You'll only see between 10 and 15 cards from your library in each game, and a handful of the available items and MacGuffins. If you combine all the enemies from each character box, you'll end up with over 30 enemies and a ton of items and MacGuffins. Every game will have a new combination that would affect your strategies. I've only played the physical game with the damsel so far, but I'm sure you'll be hearing more about Paperback Adventures from me in the future. I'm really excited to return to this game. And that's all I'm going to talk about this week. If you want to hear more of my board game reviews, you can find them over on my blog, meeplethemoose.com, and have a happy Wednesday. What up, gamers? I'm Jason, and today is What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. Julie and I decided to start our new year out right by playing Marvel Zombies, a Zombicide game, Published by Simon Games, designed by Fabio Curry and Michael Schinnell. It is based on the original Zombicide by Guillotine Games. Now, there's a lot of publishers involved in this because you got the Marvel license, you've got Spin Masters in there as well, who actually has the Marvel license working with Simon. Now, if you didn't kickstart this game, it is probably unavailable as of yet. However, the retail version, uh, Marvel Zombies Heroes Resistance, is out, where you will not be. The Marvel Zombies, you will be the heroes fighting against them. You can get that at a couple of different retailers. Not available yet in Canada. We were lucky to get a copy in the US, but you should be able to get one soon. So what is this game all about? Well, unfortunately, the zombie apocalypse has hit Earth and affected the Marvel superheroes. So the Avengers have now fallen. They are ravenous zombies and they are attempting to, you know, fix themselves, but at the same point in time, they are far too hungry, so everything is just going bad. The Marvel Zombies will be fighting against the forces of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the unzombified superheroes as they try to complete their objectives while they're searching for a cure for the hunger, but are they really? I don't know. It sounds like the hunger is just driving them mad. While you're moving around the map, you're going to be consuming bystanders to get different special abilities, also managing your hunger so you don't go ravenous, while beating up on the shield troopers as well as the superheroes. Now this game is for one to six players and something that's very different than other Zombicide games, this is designed around four players. So the Heroes Resistance box, which is the first that came out is around four players. This one as well is designed around four players, but you can take it up to five or six very easily. 
Now, if you've never played a zombie side game before, you're better off sticking with either the full player count of six players or going with a four player count specifically for this game. As all previous Zombicides were designed around six characters being used. Now, this game plays in about 60 minutes and is for ages 14 and above due to the, uh, you know, just the nature of things going on and the art. Well, it's not that scary. It definitely is not something that uh, young kids uh, won't be afraid of. So, what do I think of Marvel Zombies? Well, I have to say I really enjoyed uh, this iteration of uh, Zombicide. When I first saw Marvel United, this was kind of the game that I was hoping for. But Marvel United is a great family game. It really didn't hit for Julie and myself. Uh, we did end up picking it back up and getting into the collection, but we've got a much smaller size than what we had originally. Just a nice uh, taste of the game. Whereas with Marvel Zombies, this is the same Zombicide mechanics that we love. We get to play some of our favorite superheroes. And with uh, the rest of the content coming, such as the X-Men Resistance box, we'll be able to play as heroes or as zombies fighting with the Zombicide mechanics that we greatly enjoy. Uh, the changes that they've made to this system are very well done and suit the theme of superheroes. The fact that the zombies have to manage your hunger is great. And I really like the fact that gear has been replaced by zombie traits, which are essentially like superpowers, super abilities that the zombies will have and their one-time use, which I thought was very interesting as well, because in previous Zombicide games, you'd be moving around the map trying to find gear, you know, scrounging for whatever you can get to survive in the zombie apocalypse. Well, at this point, uh, the superheroes, they're very, very strong, and they're just trying to gain some extra, well, you can take a chance at getting an extra trait that can really help you out in specific situations. Uh, the things that they did to change the game, I thought, uh, were a lot of fun as well. Uh, for example, the troopers do have a card where they can try shooting at the zombies, so that can be very deadly depending on the amount of troopers that are on the board and where they're located. Uh, the way they've handled toughness, I think, is a marked improvement on other Zombicide games where before you needed to have a two damage or three damage weapon to hit like abominations or deal with uh, the fatties. In this case, when it comes to toughness, you're just looking for hits. So superheroes such as Thor can be very difficult as they require you to roll five hits. And when you're rolling maybe, you know, maximum six dice, it means five hits on six dice. That can be fairly challenging. Some of the zombie traits can help you make that a little bit easier. Also depends on the different characters and their success rates. What is uh, their accuracy rating? I do really like how Hulk has some superhero abilities. That means he can take out superheroes easier. But then other superheroes, well, they can be very challenging and annoying, especially depending on where they spawn. Characters like Doctor Strange, uh, Miss Marvel, and Scarlet Witch, they aren't going to necessarily stop you in your tracks, but they will definitely be a hindrance. Now, the game does have a high random quotient in it because you're dealing with dice, you're dealing with card spawns, and depending what heroes come out in which order and what spawn points they come out at, the game can be a lot more difficult or it can be fairly easy. Much like Zombicide 2nd Edition, this definitely falls a little bit more on the easy side. Uh, Julie and I got into an absolute mess of uh, the last game, but we still managed to come out ahead. But it did give us the opportunity to try out a lot of the characters' different abilities. Now, one of the things that is very different th in this than other Zombicides is you don't get to pick your skills as you level up. Uh, being superheroes, you've got specific skills that are thematic to the characters. And you really don't need the choice. The skills are very powerful, and they fit the characters that you're playing. 
Well, I think I've talked enough about Marvel Zombies. I definitely think this is something you should check out. If you're not going to be getting this one or you're just not interested in playing the bad guys, you want to play the heroes, maybe check out Heroes Resistance or the X-Men Resistance box that should be coming later on this year. And on that note, I'm going to remind you to keep playing games. Hey there, Norm here from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And uh, my turn to let you know what you've been playing. And uh, this is, uh, oh yeah, we got this to the table. Jeff had requested uh, that we play this and it was his pick. So I had a copy and uh, with all the expansions, but we played the base game. And what game am I talking about? Quit beating around the bush. I'm talking about Orléans. Uh, or Orleans, um, uh, 2014 release, uh, plays two to four players, around 90 minutes, and uh, it's designed by Reiner Stockhausen and uh, published by uh, TM, yeah, TMG, yeah, yeah, yeah. I w- always want to say TMZ, but that's wrong, that's absolutely wrong. Uh, they are defunct, and I think Capstone picked it up, yes, I'm looking at it right now, Capstone picked it up, so Everybody is now able to get uh, some of this fantastic uh, Euro bag builder. If you're wondering what it is, this is the, I'm not going to say the first, but for me, the first bag building type of game. And uh, what it is, is that you have a tableau in front of you. It's it's, uh, Orléans, like it's uh, the, the time of, what's their tagline here? Uh, During the medieval going-ons around Orléans, you must assemble a following of farmers, merchants, knights, monks, etc. to gain supremacy through trade, construction, and science in medieval France. And uh, you basically do contracts. It's a a bag building, as I said. There's end-of-game bonuses. Uh, there is a map that has point-to-point movement of, uh, of France where you, from, uh, from point-to-point, town-to-town, you are able to collect goods, you're able to build, and it's uh, in this building and in the accumulation of uh, the track uh, thresholds, I guess we're going to call them, and these thresholds are little, I think they're merchants, um, but these merchants are multipliers, and... Um, this is a fantastic Euro because how do you win? You get the most victory points. How do you get the most victory points? As I described, uh, building these houses in all of these small towns. And uh, here's the crux of the problem. Once someone's built there, eh, can't build there anymore. So it is a <laughs> multi-directional sprint um, to try and get some buildings done. And uh, how do you do that? Well... On your player tableau, you have different actions. There are three actions on the top that are uh, in the in the realms of movement on the board and building. And then below that are um, um, people that you can get for your you know your town building. You can get uh, monks. You can get uh, three types of different merchants and all of these and knights and so on and so forth. And all of these um, individuals come down to uh, being requirements for kind of a recipe building to uh, get these track bonuses because, again, it's a euro. So on the board on the other side of the map are multiple tracks that you gain these uh, uh, the merchants uh, in regards to when you kind of 
threshold, I guess, on these tracks. And certain tracks when you max out. And uh, as always, these tracks are what are connected to you uh, on your turn. You'll reach into the bag. You will pull out so many uh, uh, individuals from your town. And that, if you want more, then you go to the track and you recruit knights because knights allows you to pull more people out, right? Because they can protect more of the town. Um, and uh, so you, you start to build this town. And now, like a deck builder, you always want to thin your deck out. How do you thin your deck out in this case? Well, in this case, you send them to uh, a different board. I can't remember what the, the name of it is, but it is a kind of bonus board. Once you send them there, they're done. They uh, go into different kind of, uh, and, and again, recipe buildings. Um, uh, if you need three monks and a, and a, and a priest to gain this bonus. And uh, it, within this bonus, again, another merchant that you can get. So um, I'm like, I've had this game f like since it came out and I still have to learn that I got to thin that deck out. I got to thin that bag out because I love getting the ability to, you know, I have all these things in here that I need, anytime I can pull something out, I can get something. But there's always that one turn where, oh, if I only got, you know, a farmer, I could get, ah, oh, right? It's, there's frustration. So, uh, yeah, I, I've yet to learn that there's the thinning process that is required as well. And I learned that because I don't win all the time. But regardless, this is such a fantastic game. So much so that I bought the expansion that turns it into a cooperative and solo where uh, you are, uh, there's waves of attacks that are coming towards uh, the the castle of Orléans, and uh, you um, yeah you have to stage by stage as a as a cooperative uh, protect and build in defense of this and uh, solo there are kind of cool there's like I think four to six different little scenarios of uh, difficulty structure that you can go through so I'm so glad Capstone picked this up because now you have the opportunity to, uh, you know, have a go at this game because before it was out of print. And uh, yeah, I've got the nice big chunky copy. So that was cool. That was uh, Orléans designed by Reiner Stockhausen and this time published by Capstone Games. I do want to take a moment here to uh, let you know a little game that Daniel and I have been playing in the mornings before uh, bus and, and, you know, during this holiday time, uh, playing a lot of it. And that's Moonlight Castle, and it's one of Daniel's favorite publishers, Habba Games, and uh, designed by uh, Wilfred Fort and Marie Fort. And uh, this is Rescue Gems from a Thieving Wizard by Replacing Them with Pebbles. And it is a, it's Habba Games, right? So Habba Games is typically, if you don't know, the yellow box game, the, the you know, the, the German series of children's games. And they are very visually identified because it's as I mean uh, for those who don't know on the uh, who listen to the podcast um, Daniel my son uh, has Down syndrome and so we um, find games that suit his learning uh, stages of development and the the, the Habba series is great for uh, providing him the ability to play games with me and to play games that he can start building and scaffolding rule structures because um the uh, moonlight castle uh down to its essence for daniel 
is the idea of set collecting and caching, right? And uh, this is great because now he is able to make decisions on not just a this plus this equals this. Uh, he's able to make decisions on how to go two, three, four steps, right? To start saving up. Oh, here's the big points. Well, how do I get the big points? Oh, I need those type of gems. What gems do I have? I don't have those gems. I have to go get them now. So um, for the for the advanced uh, brain, that's very Vital Lacerda, isn't it? I want this. How can I get this? I have to reverse engineer my path in order to follow, you know, the success story of that choice. And it does it in such a great rudimentary format that anybody who has any children that are, uh, you know, five and up, this is a fantastic game. Uh, and I, you know, honestly, I have fun playing it too because there is, uh, every time you pick up a tile, like I'll quickly describe, uh, and it's such an interesting mechanism too, and not that, you know, gimmicky, but you have what's uh, pr principally a chevron looking tile that the arrow let's say for orientation wise the arrows are pointing to the right on the left hand side of this rectangular board is a castle and out of the castle gate push these chevron tiles that are, you know basically go as a road across and on either side of it are the information on uh, what do I, you know, what gem do I need to land, put my worker placement dude on this spot? And the tile, how many stones of that color do I need to switch out to take that tile? Once you take the tile on the back side, it has uh, information on how many times you push the wizard, uh, which is basically a slider that pushes these chevron tiles out, on how many times you push them out. Uh, because sometimes, you might take a tile right at the end of the path, at the end of the board, and it says, move the wizard three times. You start to push off valuable tiles off the game board, which, again, removes points out of that point system. And, uh, yeah, for such a straightforward little game, it, it puts together mechanisms that allow the young mind or the developing gamer mind to uh, start to repertoire how these things fit together and, and better understand um, the next game that they're playing. So yeah, we have so much fun with this game and I have fun with it too. So that's the best part is that I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not playing snakes and ladders anymore. Not that there's anything wrong with snakes and ladders. I can't say that without keeping a straight face. Okay, um, uh, let's wrap this up here. Uh, that was another fantastic episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for the contributors. Uh, can't do this without you. So yay for you and yay for the listener because you get to go spend more money on games. <laughs> there we go. So that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh?